Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. This is a special edition of Busted Open on Sirius XM Fight Nation. Live from the Sirius XM studios in New York City, this is Busted Open. Your only destination for daily pro wrestling talk in the entire world. From the independent scene to the main event of WrestleMania, no one covers pro wrestling like Busted Open. Eddie Guerrero was busted open. Hot topics, breaking news, and interviews with some of the biggest names in the game. A show designed for the fan by the fan. Old school. The irritable force meeting the immovable object meets new school. Busted Open. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Live now. This is Busted Open's The American Dream Dusty Rhodes Special. Here are your hosts, Dave LaGreca and Tommy Dreamer. Welcome to Busted Open, remembering the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, a very special edition of Busted Open. And with all these specials, that we've been doing it, I would have nobody by my side doing a show like this and doing a a show on the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, than the innovator of violence, the landlord of the House of Hardcore himself, the one and only Tommy Dreamer. How are you, Tommy? I'm doing okay. And man, this show is uh, really, really special to me. As you know, he was my hero. He's the reason I became a professional wrestler. And uh, the fact that I get to say, Dusty Rhodes was my uh, dearest, dearest friend, uh, a mentor, and I, I love him. I wear a yellow on my pants and polka dots on every one of my wrestling outfits, so people never forget him. And uh, blessed to, uh, when they say you uh, you don't want to meet your childhood idols, but Dusty never let me down. And uh, he never let me down in the ring, and he never let me down as a friend. And uh, really, really happy to be talking about this one. And I'm really excited to talk about the American Dream Dusty Rhodes today. I mean, unfortunately, it's five years since the passing of Dusty Rhodes. And I I can't believe it's already been five years, Tommy, but unbelievable. Five years since we lost the legend, the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. But, man, when you think of Dusty Rhodes, there's so many memories of moments and matches and promos. He is definitely one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, and also, I mean, his influence today, we watch every single week by the men and women that he helped become either WWE superstars or AEW superstars or working in Impact Wrestling, Ring of Honor, New Japan. His, what his vision, you know, with the war games, uh, Starcade, Great American Bash, like so many things that were out of his mind we're all still celebrating and watching either on pay-per-view besides his, you know, his son, Cody, basically uh, stepping in and filling those 
big, big shoes, uh, being kind of, you know, one of the faces of AEW and the amazing uh, progression of the natural Dustin Rhodes, you know? So uh, how do we not talk? To me, it's you you go and you talk about baseball and you mentioned Babe Ruth and, and you go talk about football and you mentioned Vince Lombardi and this is the impact that Dusty Rhodes has had on our industry. Yeah, and let's go back to the beginning. Dusty Rhodes is somebody who, you know, flirted with professional football. He had a, a couple of cup of coffees with different teams in the NFL, but uh, it was pro wrestling that was always his dream, you know, something he used to play wrestle and with his brother, and they'd make, you know, an imaginary ring and use like a garden hose as the ropes of the ring. So that's something that Dusty Rhodes always wanted to do. And I, I guess, Tommy, you could say he really became – more of a national superstar as early as the late 60s when he teamed up with uh, Dick Murdoch as w- one of the members of the Texas Outlaws. Absolutely. And, you know, also knowing Dusty. And, man, I used to sit with Dusty all the time when we worked, both worked in WWE. He worked right down the hall. And we were friends already from ECW. But, like, I would ask him so many questions, and he would call me a mock and I would ask him, I go, okay, can I ask you a mock question? And he'd be like, go ahead. And I would ask him about his early beginnings. He kind of bullshitted his way into the business and bullshitted his way uh, into like getting his first push, but he could talk and he could bullshit and he had that natural charisma. And, you know, when he first, then he got the talent and ability with Dick Murdoch and they really, really like tore it up especially as heels. And they were one, they were a main eventers. Dream was a main eventer early on in his career. But once he hooked up with Murdoch and these two, and their stories are legendary. Uh, and all this, you know, we, we're doing all these specials, do, talking about all the different territories. There are so many like ties to Dusty Rhodes in, in every single one, but they were a gigantic heel tag team, especially for the AWA and working everywhere but just because of like the insightful riots that these two guys can put together. Yeah. And then in 1974, you know, moving to Florida championship wrestling from Florida, that was the year when he became the American dream, Dusty Rhodes in the match with Eddie Graham and his son, Mike Graham, you know, and with Pac Song and Gary Hart in his corner, that's when the turn happened and he became one of the greatest baby faces in the history of pro wrestling. And, you know, we've talked about this so much. You have to be such an amazing performer to turn in the middle of a match or the end of a match. We have seen it during Randy Savage's retirement ceremony at WrestleMania when he lost to the Ultimate Warrior. We've seen it with uh, Brett Brett, Brett and Austin at WrestleMania where they both turned. And Dusty, and I've watched this match, and, you know, I you could find it on YouTube. Dusty would talk about Pac Song, and it they turned instantly. When you say, like, he, like, they fell in love with him in a heartbeat, and then it was just, like, next-level takeoff for Dusty's career in Florida, and then, like, the behind-the-scenes of him with the book in, in all in Florida, you know, Georgia, Mid-Atlantic, he just... He also was smart enough and, you know, after talked about it, we're putting himself getting on the cover as well as uh, 
using that first national television with, you know, Superstation, TBS. He was just always around the right time, the right place, but his charisma carried him through. And a lot of people really don't give him enough credit for his work rate, but Dusty can go in the ring. And if you go back and you look at this guy who doesn't have this athletic body, but he was such a great athlete and you would see him doing drop kicks, coming off the top rope, doing stuff that you really don't see a guy with his physique and do. And even like his punches and the flip flop and fly, he has speed. And I know like Cody's talked about just like him being such a great athlete and like playing baseball. And uh, th- there's a, a clip going around of him shooting a three uh, from on a real all st- like a, a celebrity basketball game. And he just, and he does it and he does it like just with such finesse. And if anyone's ever played basketball and they're playing against real athletes and to Dusty to drain a three like that. And then (laughs) Cody responds, he beat me all the time at horse. He was a natural athlete. And, you know, I, you go back and watch any of his matches and and I'm always like, I can't believe how much Dusty could move. He would take bumps. So a lot of guys in that era didn't, but he did. Yeah. And we just recently, Tommy did our top 10 feuds of all time. And my number one, was different than your number one. But the one thing that was in common with both our number ones is that both had the American dream Dusty Rhodes in it. And when we come back, we're going to talk about those great matches and those great feuds. We'll do that when Busted Open remembers the American dream Dusty Rhodes right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation. The Akinbarak Show. Iron Mike Tyson, iconic name, gave us the knee post on Instagram and Twitter. No caption needed. I mean, I, I like Mike's opinion. I would love to hear him speak on it, but I appreciate the post. I think a caption is so important. Being kneeled says it all, you know, but uh, people want to hear your words. People want to know what's what's on your mind, Mike. You know, you're such an iconic figure. Uh, we love to hear you speak. Weekdays from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, channel 156. This is Busted Open's The American Dream, Dusty Rhodes Special. Here's Dave LaGreca, ECW legend Tommy Dreamer, with WWE Hall of Famer Diamond Dallas Page. Welcome back to Busted Open, remembering The American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, myself, Dave LaGreca, and of course, Tommy Dreamer. And Tommy, when we think of Dusty Rhodes, a lot of things come to mind. You know, the Hard Times promo is definitely something probably, you know, top one or two greatest promos ever. But for me, it's always about the matches and it's always about the feuds. We just recently did top 10 greatest feuds of all time. Your number one was Dusty Rhodes and Kevin Sullivan from Championship Wrestling from Florida. I was Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair from the NWA in the 80s. And, you know, it doesn't, and, you know, if you want, you could throw out the series of matches he had with superstar Billy Graham in 1977. Like, he had so many great feuds and great matches. Again, yes, great speaker, definitely a genius when it came to pro wrestling, but it always comes down to what happens in the middle of the ring. You know, we had Raven on, because stupid Raven, you're a choice. Uh, we have Raven on the show, and he's like, where's Terry Funk versus Dusty Rhodes? Yep. I look on social media, and I see where's Dusty versus uh, the Koloffs, uh, Ivan Koloff or the Russians. I see where's Dusty 
versus uh, the Andersons? Where's Dusty versus the Four Horsemen? All, you know, the wrestling fans are just telling us all these great moments of, of, of dream. And it, he was always driven like that. And even though, and a lot of times this has happened to so many different people in wrestling, like once they won the title, their careers were kind of went on the down slope because once that babyface accomplishes that goal, it's like, what else can happen? But that never was lost with Dusty. And I mean, you think about it, he was so great at adapting to the babyface that he was working with. And like, I, I mean, honestly, I remember looking at him tag teaming with the Road Warriors. You look at their physiques and like, I'm looking at Dusty like he's the baddest man in the world. And just because he painted his face or the time when he got the mohawk and he did TCBY, he just did these little, little nuances that never, ever you would say like, oh, he's sucking up to this guy. He he helped the baby face get over to the next level while keeping himself over. And like that was one of his so many great attributes to do. And, and trust me, it's hard to do. And you think about even like, you know, the Crockett Cup tournament when Dusty's supposed to be teaming with Magnum TA and, you know, Magnum TA was out because of that car accident. And Nikita Koloff, who was one of the most hated heels, teams up with Dusty. And now he's one of the biggest baby face. Like you mentioned about Dusty turning back in Florida instantly one night, like Dusty being with Dusty automatically, you're one of the biggest baby faces in the territory. Yep. And, and you know, and then you think of like, getting over the Midnight Rider, uh, that character and the storylines. And, and, you know, we all, everyone talks about, it's sitting under the tree of Eddie Graham like he did. And it was, you know, Eddie to Dusty, Bill Watts. So many guys sat under this tree. Uh, Paul Heyman, just, it's a learning tree. And, and seriously, I would go and just sit and talk to Dream about so many things. And Dave, I, you know, I, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I was getting out of professional wrestling. My father took me. Uh, to see Florida Championship Wrestling at the Hollywood Sportatorium. I was watching, I was enjoying it. And when it was Ivan Koloff, Dick Murdoch versus Bugsy McGraw and Dusty Rhodes, when he came to that ring, I'm seriously, like, I, and I tell it all the time, like there was a spotlight, I could see the gnats and the smoke. Dream looked like he floated to the ring. And I remember like, you know, that hair, uh, I, I seriously felt like I was watching like a God on earth and I was frozen. I was frozen in my tracks watching him and I'm going to be 50. I've never been frozen. Uh, I've, I've watched people die in front of me. I've been in riots. I watched my father take his last breath and I've never been frozen. No one ever has captivated me uh, like that. I've, I've been to major sporting events and it was just like, I knew what I had to do with my life watching this man perform. And this was on a, this was just on a non-televised show. And that's the charisma. And that's that it factor where you affect people when you don't realize you're affecting people. Because in that era, I think just dream just was all about dream and being dusty, but that's his influence that he's had on so many people. And then we go back, I just watched that whole FCW special and it's all, you know, they're, hey, we're doing FCW, FCW, and then Dusty steps in. And then once Dusty stepped in and you look at all the people he helped get over and like Bray Wyatt, Roman Reigns, uh, John Moxley, 
the girls, Bailey, Sasha, Charlotte, and, and everyone just telling everyone they're so blessed to have learned under Dusty. And that's why I'm saying like, we're watching this man and all these, they were kids and I'm sure they were Dusty's kids, but now they're grown ass men and women. And they're, they're, they're in their prime changing their biz, the business, but they were infants in this business when, and they all sat under that learning tree, which is invaluable knowledge and why they are where they're at in their careers. Well, we talked about the feuds and the matches and the moments. Like, I know for you, seeing Dusty that night, like you said, walking on air, but you put number one, the greatest feud of all time. And it's been, I mean, dozens and dozens of just amazing feuds. But you picked Dusty and Kevin Sullivan. Why? Why to you is that the greatest feud of all time? Uh, it honestly had such personal I watched it growing up as a kid, but I believed. I believed in Dusty and everything that he said. You know, we could pick up a comic book and read about Superman, but we know it's a comic. We can watch uh, sporting events. You know, if I, we're talking this, the mid-70s, uh, early 80s, you know, Reggie Jackson, the New York Yankees, they're winning every World Series. But you know what? Reggie Jackson struck out sometimes. Dusty wouldn't let you down. Dusty would continue to fight for the people and everything that he did, you know, the son of a plumber, the common man, it was like you, he was fighting for you and the realistic angles that they did, the guy bleeding buckets for you, the guy crying on television and then going basically saying, I'm going to kick your ass. And like, if you look at some of the attire that he'd wear, it's insane. If a baby face came out like that today, but here's a guy with a big bell and he's wearing a half shirt or here's a guy with a big bell and he's wearing a shirt open or he's wearing these Ric Flair type robes and women are kissing him. And when I tell you uh, the first time Beulah ever met Dusty and she was a big dust and he just his smile and the way he spoke to you and he grabbed her hand. He's like, so nice to finally meet you, darling, and gave her a big hug and kiss. He walked away and she was like, that man is captivating. And she was blown away. And he was, you know, he was older in his life, but he just had that style, that swag, that charisma, as well as like, if you were around him, you felt like you knew him as well as you were around greatness. But also with Dusty, he made everyone feel welcome. And like that, he, he, he cut another famous promo where he was like, Black people love me. White people love me. Yellow people love me. I transcend generations. And it was just like, yeah, you do. And you know why? Because he believed it. And everything that spewed out of his mouth, I believed. And so as a kid, watching him fight the devil, and I, you know, went to Catholic school and all that stuff. I knew, hey, I knew, I didn't know about wrestling, like whether it was real or not. But I knew if you talked about the devil, you're going to hell and you're a Satan worshiper. And this guy was fighting the devil the only other person to do that was Jesus Christ and God. Yeah. And I think that's what made that feud so special and it worked so well. For me, it was Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair. And I think that that feud more than any other feud, that kind of just like summed up the 80s for me. There's Ric Flair wearing the suit, you know, going from town to town in, in a, his own private jet with, you know, drinking the champagne with, 
you know, a woman on each arm. And then you had Dusty Rhodes, who was, you know, wearing the jeans and the T-shirt, the common man, you know, the man of the people. You know, he always explained it. Ric Flair explained it, too. Ric, Ric Flair was the L.A. Lakers and Dusty Rhodes was the Boston Celtics. L.A. Lakers being that team was the showboat, showtime, you know, just a, a human highlight reel where, you know, the Boston Celtics was that team that, like, worked extra hard and had a lot of heart. That was Dusty Rhodes. And Dusty Rhodes, believe me, was the showman of all showmen. I mean, he could, he had a lot of flash. Don't, don't, don't mistake what I'm saying. But yet he had that way of touching someone where, like, yes, you want, you pay to see him, but it's also the same guy that you would have a, a beer with at the bar or share a sandwich with at the deli. You know, there was no other wrestler like that where it's like, oh my gosh, look at this guy. He's like, like you said, walking on water, you know, walking on a cloud. And, but yet you can have a sandwich with him and, and share a beer with him. I don't think there was ever any other wrestler in history that was able to have that type of connection with an audience. And Dave, when you talk about, you know, the 80s and then even to the 90s, if you remember, Ricky Steamboat, better worker than Dusty Rhodes. Ricky Steamboat, who had charisma. Ricky Steamboat basically was that same gimmick, the wholesomeness with his with his wife and his kid. They're booing Ricky Steamboat when he's wrestling Ric Flair, but they don't boo Dusty Rhodes when he's wrestling Ric Flair. So that's kind of the difference and where just like how special this guy was. And, and I'll tell you another thing why uh, wrestling fans, and, and I love them for it, because if you go back and you watch where Dusty was working for WWE and he was working with uh, Cody, and here came the bad guys, and I don't remember where it was, but Dusty hit the bionic elbow on somebody. And when he he did it, it might have been Randy Orton. When he did it, the entire place was like, whoosh. They did that old school noise that they made all the time for his bionic elbow. And that's when I was like, wrestling is real. And when I say wrestling is real, because it's real to us. And we still believe that that man's elbow was bionic. And if you ever saw it, it looked disgusting and deformed all the time. <laughs> Because uh, I would ask him for it, but it was, it was, you know, he's like years of missing the elbow, but, and years of taking bumps, but the people still believe that night. And this was in 2000 something. And I was just like, they still believe. And uh, that's what's the beauty of this guy. And uh, I could, you know, talk about it all over for friggin' two hours, but it's just, he had everything minus like the ideal physique, but nobody cared. And honestly, like you'll even say uh, today, like with Bray Wyatt, people will, I'll love Bray Wyatt. I love, but his haters will be like, they'll send a picture of Husky Harris and they'll go after him for his past. No one would ever do that to dream. Nobody. And I don't like, I just, he was, I feel just universally loved. That's why we're still talking about him today. Yeah, and we're remembering him five years after his passing. You know, one of the greatest of all time. I there's listen, he's in everyone's top ten, top five, Mount Rushmore. He's the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. And when we come back, Tommy, we're gonna talk to somebody who was not only very close friends with Dusty Rhodes, but also somebody that was mentored by Dusty. And he said it 
all the time in interviews and even on this show. If it wasn't for Dusty Rhodes, there wouldn't be him. And that's DDP. Diamond Dallas Page is going to join us right here on a very special edition of Busted Open. You're listening to Busted Open's The American Dream, Dusty Rhodes Special, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. Hey, college sports fans, be sure to go off campus with me, Mark Packer. Off campus is your place to tune in for all of your news, information, and goofball questions in the world of college sports. Plus, I want to hear from you. Pack, you guys are the standard of sanity in the afternoon. <laughs> You're the best part of my drive home every night, so have a good weekend. Be careful. You might even end up in the Smack Pack. Smack Pack alert. It's off campus weekdays at 4 Eastern on ESPNU Radio, Sirius XM 84, and the Sirius XM app. This is Busted Open's The American Dream, Dusty Rhodes Special. Here's Dave LaGreca, ECW legend Tommy Dreamer, with WWE Hall of Famer Diamond Dallas Page. Welcome back to Busted Open, a very special edition as we remember the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and somebody who definitely had a very, very special relationship, Tommy, with Dusty Rhodes is WWE Hall of Famer, friend of the show, DDP, Diamond Dallas Page. How are you today, sir? Great, man. I've been, I know, I know this is this, this quarantine and this craziness in our country, you know, it's really all over the place right now. Uh, but God has been good to me. I've just, you know, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. So I'm just blessed. I'm great. <laughs> you know what? And, and these crazy times and they are crazy. I mean, the last They're three crazy, months have man. just been something that you never, ever would have imagined and a lot of people need comfort and you know i know for myself i've I've been watching a lot of old school wrestling a lot of wrestling from the 70s and 80s been watching a lot of championship wrestling from florida a lot a lot of mid-atlantic wrestling and somebody who was all over both those promotions is the, the american dream dusty Rhodes. and i know for you ddp like he was more than just a friend he was a mentor and somebody that you always say if it wasn't for him, there would be no DDP. Oh, 100%. 100%. Like, I, I had to get myself out there when I got in the AWA. But after the AWA, every break that meant anything for me came through Dusty in the you know, those, those next couple of years. And I always tell people, because, you know, a lot of people go, you got you to gotta network. No, you don't have to network because a lot of people think that you have to, it's all about who you know or who knows you. But the reality comes down to, it comes down to who's willing to say they know you. And Dusty did that for me over and over and over again. Him and Jake, both, they both did. You know, uh, Dave, we're talking about, you know, today's society, but, you know, we're all kind of going through hard times. And if you go back and listen to that promo and what made him like when he just reached out to that camera and with his hand mm-hmm. and it was like, take me along for that ride. Like he, you knew he was there for you. And, and exactly what I feel, uh, what Dusty was, he was about hard work and it was about, and you watch the FCW documentary. It's about believing in people and Paige is somebody who, uh, and not just because he's my friend, he believes in people. And he believes in helping people. And Dusty did that for so many. And when you have somebody in your corner, you're willing to fight to the death for that person. And for me, like, 
you know, I met Dusty, I'm already an established star in ECW, and I will just be totally humbled by Dusty's presence. And even knowing his backstory, because at that time, he wasn't doing good in his life. And he had told me, and he called him Pole. And when he was kind of ousted out of WCW, and he was going through some hard times, what Paulie stood by him. And Paulie also stood by him because of Dusty gave Paulie his first break and believed in him. Right. And right. when you have people like that in your life, they're so influential. And like when I, I remember watching that whole video with Cody training for the NWA title and DDP is in it and Cody sits there and I'm just watching this video like a fan. And Cody's like, my father felt he had five friends out of everybody in wrestling. And I mean, and three of them were, one was me, one was DDP and one was Glacier. And I was like, I started crying because I'm like, my hero considered me one of his best friends till his dying day. And it was just like next level for why, like, I will always mention his name. Like I said, I will wear yellow polka dots till the day I die, just so everyone can remember or somebody could say, wow, didn't somebody else wear that? He's way bigger than I will ever be. But the fact that he believed in what, a 33-year-old man trying to make it in wrestling who was going to a wrestling school and a power plant to be a wrestler, to turn out to be a Hall of Famer, to see his son go out there and do what his he's doing and his other son go out there and become a great performer. Like stuff like that doesn't happen in life unless other people believe in you. And I have seen DDP change people's lives. I have gone out of my way to help a lot of people and try to give them inspiration because that's what this world should be all about. hundred percent, man. You know, when I said it, when I inducted Jake in the whole thing, I had to set, you know, a thing of what I wanted to say. It was on my pad and then I would improv, like, because I've always, in my matches to my scripts, whatever I'm doing, I am prepared. I put the work in. I know what I'm going to say. But I know what I'm going to say so well that I can improv at any spot and come out. And one of the things I said that was completely improv, and I really didn't realize how powerful it was till after I watched it back, and it was I was talking about Jake, and I said, Never underestimate the power you give someone by believing in them. More importantly, never underestimate the power you give yourself by believing in you. And uh, that's, that, that's what Dusty, I mean, Dusty did that for me over and over again. You know, one of my favorite stories, and because I never really even told this story often, it, there's there's some I've told over and over and over again because they're just so amazing. <laughs> but Dusty believed in me when I came into Florida Championship Wrestling as a color commentator, and not that I could do like Jesse Ventura. He was looking for the energy. When he offered me the spot of color commentator, I was like, uh, uh, Dusty, uh, I was feeling super confident right up to that point. And when he offered me that, I was like, uh, um, Dusty, I don't know a wrist lock for a wristwatch. I, I, I can't do that. And he said, don't worry about it, kid. Gordon Foley going to walk you through it all. And he loved my energy behind the mic, even though I was nonsense at times. He loved the energy. He believed in me as a as a you know, producer and helping other guys interview. When he brought me up to WCW, 
when he left New York as the polka dotted deal and came in to WCW, he not only brought me up to be the manager for the Freebirds, two of the greatest talkers ever, Michael Hayes and Jimmy Jam Garvin. And Michael was the one who said, you talk. We want something new here. You talk. But Dusty set that up. But he also put me in booking meetings. Now, I didn't know how much heat that was really getting me. I had no idea. You know, I was like, ignorance is bliss until you really learn what that H-E-A-T means. And, uh, you know, it's, that's, that can be worse than the F word. Uh, but uh, he put me there. He put me, he'd have me producing interviews, everything. And then when they decided they weren't going to let me manage anymore because of the hair, because, because of this guy, because of that guy, where's my camera here? Because of that guy, the hair, <laughs> the bling, the flash, the rap, the diamond dolls, the first divas in professional wrestling. And uh, when he decided he wouldn't let me manage anymore, he, uh, he had Magnum TA tell me that. And I was like, Mags, Mags, are, are you telling me I'm too over the top for professional wrestling? He's like, kid, it's not your fault. What we should have done is put you in a pair of tights and boots and seeing if you could do this. The next day I was in Magnum's office. I had seven months left of my contract. I made the move. I'm going to become a wrestler. Now I say that story that just kind of just shook his head. And, you know, he loved me. He like, let him do his thing. Never thinking it would turn into anything. Then I, I worked for, I don't know, nine months with Kevin Nash, tore my rotator cuff, went away for 11 months because they let me go. And Eric Bischoff hired me back, bottom salary. And I got to go in for my meeting with Dusty the next day. So that day I go to the power plant. And when I get to the power plant, Dusty's there. I've never seen him in the power plant. And I'm like, dream. I'll give him a big hug. And he goes, we're getting together tomorrow, right? I said, yeah. He goes, hey, D, get, get in there. Get in there with that kid. I want, I want to check him out. It was a new kid he'd come down to look at. And I went in there for about 20 minutes with him. And then I got out of the ring and went around to the other three rings that were down there in Jonesboro. And um, I didn't know it. I thought he left. He never left that day. He stayed there. I was there all day. The next day we had our meeting. And when we came in, we sat down and we're going to talk about ideas I had for bringing me back in. And so we start out getting all the, you know, family stuff out of the way first. And he said, so what you got? So I give him this idea about the fishbowl. I'm going to reach in the fishbowl and pull out superstars. I'll challenge anybody. And I'm back and I'm a different guy. And he says to me, after I get done, he just starts laughing. And then he looks at me and he says, you know, D, I know you always seen yourself as this main event performer in our business. I got to be honest with you. I never saw it. And when he say, said, I never saw it, my heart fell. And then he said, until yesterday. And then he said, if you have that work ethic, and if you keep doing what you're doing, 
you might just pull this shit off. And he did what I wanted him to do. And then five weeks later, the, uh, the booking committee came in and my push went stage left. <laughs> Amazing. Um, when you think of Dusty Rhodes, and, and obviously we have you on this show, you're probably the most positive person I have ever met and such a major influence on people. Was there ever a time during that transition? And you said there was a lot of heat on you. You know, you know, probably people were very upset about what was going on. Was there ever a time that you doubted yourself and you needed somebody like Dusty Rhodes to kind of pick you back up? Wow. That's, that, that's my favorite story of all time. Of all of my stories, that's my favorite. The thing was, <clears throat> when <clears throat> Eric Bischoff put Dusty out to pasture, as I would call it, because they don't want to let him go because they don't want him to go to New York, so they don't want him there. So it's kind of like when they buy a movie and they shelve it because they've got another Irish Mafia movie coming out. So they'll buy the movie, and then they'll never play it. So that's what they were doing with Dusty. They put him on a shelf. And Bish would, you know, listen to Dusty if he wanted to give him some advice or whatever. So he was there for that, more of a consulary. But for me, he stepped up huge. Because when, when I wasn't talking to Jake, I was talking to Dusty. And Dusty would let me vent on him. You know, like, get it out of your system. And I was complaining about the booking committee, never wanting to give me the real opportunity. Now, I never expected to be a world champion. I never expected any of that. I just was looking for what I called the early on Rick Rude, Jake Roberts spot. When they came in, they weren't the world champion dudes. They were you know, the bottom of the top. They got guys over when they first came in. Jake, of course, was a god, especially to me. But I just wanted that opportunity. And my, 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 my logic there was when Jake walked out there, when Rick Rude walked out there, you didn't know who was going to win. I don't care who they went against. You didn't know. And... Um, I went on a rant talking about like, you know, Dusty, I know I'm never going to be you or Rick or Hulk. I never know. I know I'm never going to be the world champion, but man, but Dallas, enough. <laughs> he yelled at me. I was like, whoa, I never heard him yell at me before. He said, what did you just say? Now I feel kind of stupid. You know, I'm like, well, Dusty, I know I'm never going to be you, you know, or Rick. Or Hulk, I know. And he said, no, no, D, what did you say after that? I said, well, Dusty, I know I'm never going to be the world champion. He said, then what the fuck are you doing it for? He said, Dallas, if you don't believe, if you don't believe as hard as you work, I mean, he was so hot. He was like, if you do not believe that you, with your work ethic, could be the world champion, D, you need to get the fuck out of our business right now. And man, I felt like he reached his hand through that phone and just bitch slapped me. And I didn't remember a word he said after that. And he kept going. <laughs> he kept going. But 
I remember exactly what I did. I was in my house in Mableton, Georgia. I was sitting at the counter. I had the phone with the long cord on it. And there was a ledger pad next to the phone. And while he was ripping me, because he didn't stop, he kept coming. I wrote down while he was venting on me, I will be the world champion in five years or less. And I dated it. It was four years, four months, and 14 days. April 11th, 1999 rolled around. And in the same pay-per-view that two years earlier, Randy Savage took the diamond cutter and it changed my life at a whole different level. Like I never could believe that it would change it that much, but it did. Two years later, I get in the ring with three of the greatest of all time, Hulk, the Stinger, and the Nature Boy. And for Nate, I was just talking to him last night. I found this great picture of him and Reed um, and, and me together, and I, want, and I wanted them to have it. Uh, for Nate, and the Nature Boy didn't have to put anybody over. <clears throat> and he, he put me over in the middle for that world championship title with Randy Savage as the guest referee. Like, you can't write that shit. I mean... Wow. It was unbelievable. And um, the next day, I was, me and Kimberly were driving to Spokane. And I can still see it. And I'm in my car. And I'm driving. We're talking. The phone rings. I pick it up. And all I hear, so, how's it feel? <laughs> I said, dream. It feels real. He said, that's because it is. He goes, I love you. Click. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, it was powerful, man. So. That was awesome, man. Uh, I love the fact that he hung up on you because there would be so many times that he would hang up on me too. I would, <laughs> I would call him when like the Midnight Rider was on and he'd be like, I know who this is. Click. <laughs> <laughs> hey Tommy, how about this one though? I call him like I don't know six times over, you know, a friggin' two week period. Like, bro, are you ever gonna fucking call me back? And when he finally called me, Dallas, what the fuck? I called you seven times. You haven't returned one of my fucking phone calls. What the fuck is the matter with you? And I just go, you son of a bitch. And he just start laughing. And sometimes he just go click. You know, <laughs> he just was just such, he was such a river. You know, and I, one of my, you know, because Dusty, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, him passing on the 11th and being born on the 11th in October. I always had, I would always bring him cigars and case of beer. And we sit around and, uh, like you were talking about, Tommy said he went through some hard times, man. He did too, and uh, and over that time, I was there for him, you know, over and over again, man. And uh, one time, he knew I really wanted that coyote coat, and I had brought him over. Me and Mark Merrow had just finished working our angle, 
because he was going to New York. And we're drinking beers, smoking cigars. And he's like, you know, Dennis, <laughs> I don't know how you got this far. <laughs> like, it would amaze him on how I would manipulate myself up that card. Uh, and uh, he, uh, he said, I got something for you. And he went and he got me that coyote coat. Now, I don't remember what time of year it is at the time, but I heard Cody tell the story and how Cody remembers it. He walked down from downstairs and me and his old man are sitting there drinking beers, smoking cigars, and I'm wearing the coyote coat in the middle of August. <laughs> He's like 12 years old, you know? And, uh, and uh, I, I, just, I just imagine that, you know, because I didn't see him there, but he was. And uh, just to see that. And he asked me to borrow that coat for something he was doing with ROH. And I'd loaned it to him. And Dusty, inside that coat, had Dusty Rhodes embroidered in the left side panel. So when I got it, I embroidered Diamond Dallas Page in the, oh, watch you guys, in the, uh, the other side. And um, was doing an interview with Cody at my DDP Yoga Performance Center. Tried to do one every year with him. And uh, during what happened before that, before the interview, I was somewhere and we had a picture of him wearing the coat and we're all drinking. And uh, I was still with Brenda back then. And uh, someone said something about the coat and they loved the coat. And I've been offered $10,000 for that coat, you know, which is way worth, worth more than you paid to buy it. And because, but because Dusty's mine, it was, you know, offered 10 grand for it. And I'm like, not a chance. I ain't selling for a hundred grand. And uh, I was telling the story about it to my friends. And I said, I, you know, I, I've left that coat to Cody in my will. And Brenda looked at me and she goes, in your will? Look at the face. Look how happy he is. You need to give that coat to him now. <laughs> and I looked at her. I went, you're right. I do. So we did this interview. We put the coat behind us. He has no idea. And uh, it was right around New Year's. Uh, and uh, we start talking about the coat. And he tells a story about being in the middle of August, me with the cigars and, the, and Dusty and, and the beer and <clears throat> the most crazy sight he's ever seen. And he said, you know, I was going to embroider my own name in there as a rib. But I know how special that coat is to you, so I didn't do it. I said, well, you should have. You should have done it. I said, because, you know, and I told him a story how, you know, I was with these guys, and I told him I was going to leave it to uh, you after I was gone. Like, it's, it's in my will. And Brenda said, you need to give it to him now. And I said, you're right. I said, the coat's yours, bro. He's like, what? What? <laughs> I go, yeah, the coat's yours. So that was a pretty cool moment, too. Um, let me just finish this coat story with, I was at the ring of honor show working with Bubba 
there. And I have a picture of me wearing that exact coat because he was parading it around. <laughs> and I was like, can I put it on, please? Just because I want to feel that power as well. And I'm going to text you that picture later. And Dave, uh, we're talking about when people believe in you and fighting for you. You know, Dusty worked for WWE and, you know, then I'm back with WWE and we're doing ECW and Dusty's the the lead writer. And at one point, and I've told the story on the air, our WrestleMania match was canceled and they were going to just show it on that Tuesday. And Dusty was pissed and Dusty fought for that match and he didn't fight it because of for me or my relationship he goes it's right and he goes it's the right story to tell and you guys all work so hard and dusty fought for that match to happen it happened it gave me my largest paycheck that i ever got to wrestle i also got to perform at wrestlemania and he knew how important that was to me and then on also on the flip side before all this I went and I hired Cody into WWE and Dusty, I was like, Hey man, why don't you call him up? And he goes, absolutely not. It'll mean more if you call him. And I was like, you don't want to tell your son that he's uh, hired. He goes, this is business. And he's like, and you're not hiring because he's my son. You're hiring him because you believe in him. And I was like, absolutely. I do. So he didn't even like, that was like, that's the beauty of this man. And I know, you know, Paige and I are blessed to to have so many stories. And like, also, like I said, I've been friends with, with DDP forever, but like, I felt even a, a, a deeper bond when I found out how tight we all were and what Dusty considered us. And like, I would go to battle for Paige to the death as well, because he was friends with my friend. Wow. That's really back bad. at you, bro. <laughs> back at you. Dallas, <clears throat> Thank you so much for the time. It's, I mean, every time we have you on, we could have you on for hours. You're always so gracious. <laughs> you know, again, go to ddpyoga.com for all the information, for all the good things that you're doing in health and fitness and in really changing people's lifestyles and lives by what you're doing. You're, you're a good man. And, and thank you so much for always giving us the time. Thank you. Thank you so much to DDP. Tommy, thank you for sharing the memories and it's deserved. One of the greatest of all time. Five years since we lost the legendary Dusty Rhodes. Thanks for everyone for listening. Remember to listen to Busted Open Monday through Saturday, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to noon Eastern time. Now back being live. This was a very special edition. Remembering the American dream. Dusty Rhodes right here on Busted Open. This has been Busted Opens, The American Dream, Dusty Rhodes Special. Check SiriusXM On Demand for more SiriusXM Fight Nation content. And follow us on Twitter at Busted Open Radio. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.